Today is September 14, 2018. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Blackfoot south of the Canadian-U.S.-imposed border, the Blackfeet, and north of the border is the Siksika, Ganai, and Bigani of the Confederacy. The la- these lands are now on Treaty 7, uh, signed in 1877, with signatories that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, now Wesley, Chiniki, and Bearspaw Nations, the Sutina Nation, and we also acknowledge all First Nations that are across Turtle Island that are Métis, Inuit, status, or non-status as the keepers of this land. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I can share what I think I know as I walk down the Red Road. My name is Michelle Robinson. My spirit name is Red Thunder Woman. I was born in Calgary as Michelle Elliott, a very English name that has afforded me privilege in a colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene, or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian that I'm the daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act and Post status card. Why acknowledging my lineage and where I was born matters is because even though I'm native, and even though I was born here, my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My indigenous nation still roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Lake or the Great Bear Lake people, in Treaty 11. My, I'm uh, native to Turtle Island, and my nation is a visitor to this area, which we call Clincho Tine Indahe, or Many Horsetown, named after the Calgary Stampede in Satudene. My cousins are Sutina. So my Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. So I'd like to thank all of my previous donors for signing up. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments, your questions. And we're also now on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Uh, NativeCalgarian.com is also up. I talk a lot about what racism that Indigenous people face every single day. Uh, Every generation has faced it, and that's why I started this podcast, to speak freely without interruption, without tone police or leadership shaming or without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinion, but sure like to tell me theirs. And by literally people who know nothing about Indigenous people, know nothing about colonialism, uh, the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights. Um, There are many gatekeepers that just survive off the status quo. Um, You know, a lot of trauma is a part of our world. So in love, a lot of gatekeepers will stop people from, you know, moving forward so that they can stay where they're at. Um, This is just an daily reality for me, internal and external racism. So this is why I needed a podcast to be heard. And here we are. I just hope that uh, my family will be proud in the future of me talking about these present day issues as we go down, you know, the road of, I guess, 2018. So I talk a lot about cultural safety being put into action and creating a safer space. I did this in my book club as well, because I found that, uh, you know, um, we actually got an email from one of the members saying that they didn't feel safe as a white Catholic. And um, there needs to be an understanding when you're talking about reconciliation and uh, Indigenous perspective that there's a need for safer spaces for Indigenous people to speak. 
uh, because up to now the status quo actually has been for Catholic people and for non-Indigenous people. The fact I'm, is I'm speaking to you in English and not Satu Dene. I would love for five years from now be me be speaking not in English to you. Um, so some boundaries I like to t give people who don't understand. You know, having good intentions is not enough. Take action, make change, speak out against racism, ask questions. For those with more understanding, find allies and create a support system for yourself so that you can advocate for culturally safe approaches. Uh, take responsibility for your own learning. Read, reflect, ask questions, but do not expect this learning to come from Indigenous people. Um, take time for self-reflection. Beware of your own assumptions and your own biases. Question everything you've learned about Indigenous people. And take steps actively to disrupt the stereotypes. Commit to lifelong learning. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. Understanding colonialism and the legacy of racism is an ongoing and difficult task. Um, those resources were from here to help bc.ca, but uh, AROC is a local uh, resource here in Calgary that has a lot of cultural safe uh, conversations and tools. So highly recommend them as well. Uh, I talk a lot about internalized racism, and in our circles, everyone calls that lateral violence. But to me, I look at it very differently because I know where that stems from. And when people are mean to me and question me, like, uh, I'll give you an example. I was at a, a circle and, you know, someone said, what right do you have to acknowledge the land? And I just laughed because I thought, you know... This isn't the time of Indian residential schools where you have to ask for permission from priests and nuns or ask permission from Indian agents anymore. If you're native and you know the land that you're on and you acknowledge where you're at, that's pretty important. That's not something that other people know to do. So, yeah, don't let people like people shaming stop you from doing what you know. If you're indigenous and you know what you know, then share that especially if it's not hurting anybody. It's the opposite. It's acknowledging, you know, the good people who, you know, our ancestors that worked together at signing treaty or the people that, um, you know, took care of Turtle Island, took care of Canada, took care of this area, Can uh, Calgary. You know, acknowledging all of those Indigenous nations, I think, is incredibly important. So the idea of somebody trying to shame that, you know, I immediately forgive and move on. You have to. Um, and I'm telling other Indigenous people that because you're going to find a lot of people shame you. And when they do, just know that you're coming from a good place, you're doing good things, and that if your intentions are good, then other non-Indigenous are trying to learn from your, from you and your, your leadership, your behavior. And they want to em emulate that so that they can start doing this reconciliation as well. Um, and if, you know, you're a little older and you're like, well, that's not right. We shouldn't be doing that. You know, maybe stop and really reflect on that. Why, why you feel you need permission to do something simple as a land acknowledgement, um, especially if you're not hurting anybody. So there's a lot of other tools for that. Um, if you ever Googleized in, uh, internalized racism, you know, that is the situation that occurs when a racist system is, um, oppressed oppressing a group of people so like here in Canada I don't know why people don't acknowledge the impact of the Indian Act in the Canadian Constitution but these are legal frameworks that have been imposed on a group of people this country is literally built on the Indian Act which is embedded in the Constitution so 
this this country's roots is literally uh, racial oppression, and it's embedded. It's it's not something you can just take away. And even if today we did take it away, that doesn't change the way the system was structured. So we just have um, oppression, which is why we have such a low minority of an indig- of indigenous people living in Canada now. So really question internalized racism and structural racism because that's where it's all rooted from. You know, institutional, culture, cultural, interpersonal, inner um, racial tools or racialequitytools.org gave me uh, some resources. Another tool to try to impart on people is bystander intervention. A lot of people will see racism but don't know what to do. And of course, the first rule is safety first. So we got to make sure whoever's being harassed is safe, you're safe, and go from there. So if you see any public instances of racism, of anti-black, anti-Muslim, anti-trans, or other form of oppressive uh, violence and harassment, you know, do make your presence known. Make eye contact with the person being harassed. Ask them if they want support. Uh, Move yourself near the person being harassed if possible. If you feel at risk to do so, create a distance or a barrier between the person being harassed and the attacker. If it's safe to do so and the person being harassed consents, film or record the incident. Um, Take cues from the individual being harassed. You know, is the person engaging with the harasser? Can you make suggestions? Would you like me to walk over here with you? You know, move to another car train, ask um, the other person if you can just leave them alone, but follow the lead of the person being harassed. Notice if the person being harassed is resisting and honor that. Um, Don't tone police the person if they're being harassed. Uh, Follow up with the individual being harassed after the incident is over and see if they need anything else. Do everything you can to keep yourself safe. Assess your surroundings. See if there's other people that you can pull in for support. Uh, Working as a team is a great idea, if possible. And can you move the person being harassed to a safer space? Uh, Don't call the police. For many communities experiencing harassment, um, Arab, Muslim, Black, queer, trans, immigrant, Indigenous, The police actually can cause a greater danger for the person being harassed because of personal biases. Uh, Don't escalate the situation. The goal is to get the person being harassed to safety and to not incite further violence from the attacker. Don't do nothing. Silence is dangerous. It communicates approval and it leaves the victim high and dry. If you are too nervous or afraid to speak out, move closer to the person being harassed with your support and with your body. So, If you Google online, you will find lots of do's and don'ts when it comes to bystander intervention. And I implore you to do that, whether you're on in Calgary, the C train or wherever you're at. I'd love to have you guys uh, write me and tell me where you're listening from. So moving forward, I was on Twitter and I seen that um, I can't even say her name, uh, Pia Chadopadai. She was tweeting out that she had done an interview with Patrick Brazo. And I know a lot of people don't want to give him uh, too much airtime and air and space, but I do. And the reason why is because I feel very connected from my political, um, my political life to him as well. And not because we are at all connected. I know he does not know me. I do not know him. It's just that um, it was that time when... I knew the policies that Harper was putting down on Indigenous people 
we're literally going to kill us. We're literally going to be the small lifeline of money that was taken away, whether it was through um, Rona Ambrose. She was the status of woman man minister. She made all of these cuts to uh, women's groups, indigenous women's groups. Um, you know, the more bills that were coming out, it was very clear he he was going to be hurting our people um, systemically through legislation. So I was getting very, you know, concerned and, you know, <laughs> I'm Albertan and I was raised white. So for me to be a redneck conservative was not hard for me to do. That was the normal. That was an easy stretch for me. Me walking down, you know, a red road didn't even come after. I, I actually had to walk down the feminist walk first because uh, I didn't understand all of the misogyny, the toxic masculinity that I was constantly surrounded by. You know, I witnessed violence when I was little, when my parents were together. Um, I seen it everywhere in my life, child, my childhood. Um, you know, whether it was somebody who was killed in the small town that I grew up in, or it was just the derogatory way that people spoke. Um, Burt Reynolds recently died, and, you know, a lot of people mourned him, which I was are really shocked by because I remember very specifically him beating his cute little blonde wife, very public um, marriage and public beatings. And everyone was okay with that. Um, you know, I, I'll never understand why people worship a man who was so toxic, but regardless, it doesn't matter because I'm not rich and he is. So here we are. Um, you know, so I, I walked down the, the road of understanding what oppression, patriarchal oppression was. And then uh, when I had my daughter and I experienced even more racism, it that was the final breaking point was what happened to me when I was still giving birth and uh, in the most vulnerable position I've ever been. And I just knew I had to start acknowledging the racism in my life. I spent like my 20s in counseling trying to acknowledge the male toxicity in my life. But then to go into um, my 30s and then realize I have to start really addressing internalized racism and, you know, structural racism, the racism in society, and know that my story is no different than any, any other Indigenous person in Canada. So, you know, it was around that time of um, Harper in whatever, 2011, I would even say 2009 was when I was really starting to get very concerned um, with some of the bills that he was, he was proposing the ideas that he was proposing. And, uh, Patrick Brozo was like one native in that, this whole stream. And he was accepted through the conservative party, which was shocking to me because he was native and it was pretty clear that they hated natives and they hated, uh, anybody who wasn't a certain kind of white and just to give more background to that. This was when Ed Stelmack was also uh premier and I found out that uh, people were racist to him. And I said, what do you mean? Is he not white enough? And as it turns out, Ukrainian white is not good enough white. I didn't know that. I didn't know that was a thing. So that that was what was happening. So I found um, that we needed to start like tackling racism and talking about it. And I knew I had to. So Patrick Brezo to me was like this total anomaly, of course, until he started to make the news. Um, you know, if there was one person that I thought might actually go to jail for, you know, wife beating or something like that, it would be him because he was native, but he didn't. Um, he had all of this awful controversy around him 
and he just seemed really untouchable. I was really shocked. And, you know, to uh, any of his family, I don't mean any disrespect to you at all. It was just, uh, you know, somebody from the West seeing somebody from the East being able to just basically be untouchable. Um, So I was watching from afar, and this was at the time where the Liberal Party became third party status. And for me, even though I was in in Alberta, I was actually pretty devastated because I thought, well, there's no force to ruin the conservatives. There's no real um, political talking points because I, I actually didn't feel very confident in the NDP. I never have, never will. Um, that's my own personal thing. When it comes to uh, growing up in a union house, in a boilermaker's house, I think that um, I've seen enough bullying within a union that I just don't know if I'll ever, you know, be able to shake that. But I do know unions have done really good things for, say, teachers and nurses. But for what I had seen, you know, I had also seen my uncle in a diamond mine. And there were people being uh, killed and the strike was awful. Anyway, um, that's what made me look at the Liberals, even though I knew they were the ones that were responsible for the foundation of Canada. They were literally the oppressive root foundation of Canada. They were the first governing party here in Alberta, 1905. I wish I didn't know these things, but I do. I, what can I say? I'm boring. I, you know, I'm okay with that. So Patrick Brazo comes onto the scene and Justin Trudeau is like, you know what? I'm going to try to revitalize the Liberal Party. And I'm like, okay, well whatever, whatever. And they decide they were going to do this fight. And I thought he was nuts to do this fight because I thought he'd get the, I I thought he would really get pummeled. (laughs) I really did. Um, And I thought Patrick Brazo to agree to do it was just being mean. Um, You know, so anyway, really excited when I seen that finally, after all of this controversy and you know, even a couple of years to let it die down, we kind of got to hear a little more about Patrick Brazo on this on the CBC um, radio interview. And um, I'll be the first to say, I, I was incredibly shocked that J- Justin Trudeau won that fight. And um, I have to bring it up over and over again, because in the CBC article, uh, or I guess the radio interview, it was very, very clear that he seen it as he, as in Patrick Brazo, seen this as the reason why Justin Trudeau is the pre- prime minister today. And I know nobody is sharing this interview. Nobody's talking about this interview. And, you know, from my point, of, I'm a national executive with the Liberal Party. And I totally agree with Patrick Brazo. I think it was a game changer. I think him, um, I think this fight and Justin Trudeau winning was a game changer. And I think it really... Um, hurt the conservatives. Uh, it was Patrick Brazo who said continuously how Harper had it out for him and how he um, went after him despite Patrick Brazo's loyalty to uh, their party. And uh, I mean, I, I find that hysterically funny, but party politics, I think once you get into it, that becomes its own um, toxic environment at times but it's also really positive I mean I have a lot of positive things to say than I do negative but that negative element is definitely there and I'm sure all Canadians can see that's what breaks down every single party 
in leadership at a certain point is the infighting and such that happens, whether you're liberal or conservative. Um, I don't care too much about the NDP. So, you know, this, this is a constant thing. Um, I shouldn't even say that. I'm watching the NDP all the time and I'm seeing the infighting right now. And even right now we have this, uh, he's really inspiring, good looking guy, uh, Jagmeet Singh. And you can see within the party, people don't believe in him. And it's like, hmm, I wonder why. What's about Jagmeet Singh that we don't like? Hmm, what could it possibly be? Wonder if it's, his name is Jagmeet Singh. That would make him seek that, oh, he wears turban. Yeah, that's an, that's an issue for a lot of people, which is really sad because that's underlined racism. But regardless, I have a lot of respect for him. And I see that infighting that's happening within that party right now. And within the Conservative Party, lots and lots and lots of fighting that's happening there. So anyway, I found out through this that uh, Patrick Brazo's mother is white and that his father was the one who was Indigenous, um, which I find incredibly interesting because I think there's a lot more space right now today to start talking about racism within families. And, uh, you know, I think it's an, um, a major thing that nobody in Canada wants to talk about. We talk about uh, a lot of, well, my mother's from this culture and my dad's from this culture. But they don't talk about the racism within the family's dynamics as well. So, like, obviously culture matters a lot. Um, for me, I have an Indigenous mother. I have a stepmother who has Austrian background. And then my dad, who um, his family identified as American. So we have all of this family dynamic and it manifests itself like things come out within the family. I know that, um, you know, people get offended when I use the term white, which I find hysterical because we talk about all these different races all the time. But, you know, it's not OK to name the white one. So it's OK that I live in Canada under the Indian Act as an Indian. But it's not okay for me to call Canadians white, which is hysterical. So, well, funny to me. I'm sure it's not funny to white people listening. So anyway, um, I found it interesting that he also never really recognized any of the um, racism when he was talking about this. Um, he didn't acknowledge any past trauma, any reasons for why therapy for alcohol would be good. He even denied being an addict and said he was only a drug user. Um the only time he recognized racism was when one of the former leaders of the Senate, who was conservative, called him a failed experience or experiment. And I think that was the one time he knew, oh, that's racist. And I was like, well, there's a lot of racism within your whole story that you're not acknowledging on air. Now, granted, I don't think the CBC is really that comfortable talking about racism anyway, which makes it worse. Um, in fact, I thought the host she even like washed away the Me Too comments you know, by saying, oh, this is a man who still has a job. Um, you know, and I, I just, <laughs> I really was struck that here a brown woman would say that to an indigenous man because like, yeah, he still has a job and he was one of the few people that, you know, was, didn't have any, you know, charges stick to him. But I mean, if he would have, the only reason why that would have happened was because he's native. But of course, when we're talking about structural um, dominance, obviously, being a senator of Canada, that's one of the highest positions that you can get in this country. So of course, they didn't stick to him. But 
I just I was really disappointed with um, not pushing a little more to be a little more open and honest about what racism and sexism is in Canada because he is the embodiment of all of that and we never got to hear or touch on any of it. So I was disappointed with that. I know that Patrick Brazo, Senator Brazo, will continue to be a senator until he decides not to or until he dies, one or the other. Um, and that's a long, long career. So, you know, I hope he starts dealing with some of his past traumas. Like, I don't know his dad's story. If he went to Indian residential school as well, but, you know, here he had the opportunity to finally speak. He wasn't muzzled by lawyers and judges. And I really thought it was the most softball interview I've ever heard. So really disappointed about that. I'd love to hear your thoughts about it. So it's up on the CBC radio and I'll reshare it on um, my native Calgarian so that that way people can listen to it and see what they say. Um, I find the subject of Patrick Brezzo very interesting because I think it is rooted to Justin's rise and to the Liberal Party and the fall of the Conservatives because, you know, they don't like losing. And it just, you know, now Jason Kenney's running for the Premier of Alberta. Gross. So let's move on. Um, thanks to a lot of the structural racism. Of course, we have a lot of missing and murdered Indigenous women. And in Calgary, we have a huge... Um, I guess support network for that but unfortunately now is the time that a lot of people are going to start working towards um, honoring the um, tragic passing of their family members so I was just working uh, last night and today a little bit on a national day to acknowledge Cindy Gladue and we're going to have uh, we as in the organizers they they uh, brought me in for Calgary we're going to be talking to lawyers about violence against Indigenous women as well, but I really think white Albertan women's don't understand the gravity of the Cindy Gladue case. Because what happened to Cindy Gladue is now perfectly acceptable to happen to all white women. All of you. So if you're all willing to go march for Hillary, who's not even in our country, I really think this should be something you should be marching on the streets for as well. Because now your vagina is allowed to be cut out of your body and used in a court of law while the rest of you gets buried. To me, that's a pretty big thing. That's a pretty big issue. Probably should not be allowing this to be a normal thing. So, you know, Cindy Gladue and her family, they obviously are they're, they're fighting this as much as they can. There's organizations all across the country that are a part of this, uh, predominantly here in Alberta, that are um, women's groups that are advocating uh, lawyers that are lawyering up for for this case because what has happened to her it's not just the the worst thing that can happen to any Alberta woman but it's also it's it's you cross into that spiritual realm of of this is like grossly wrong to do to a body this is grossly wrong um, in a lot of indigenous culture you know you uh, you bury somebody intact so for Cindy Gladue's um, story to get this far along and the person who had killed her not to be convicted and thrown in jail for this, I, I'll never understand. Um, anyway, we're going to be doing some awareness conversations about that. And we're going to uh, give out some leaflets. And um, as well, we're going to be doing on the English side family. 
they're going to be having a walk two days before the Sisters in Spirit Vigil. It starts October 2nd in Pecani, and it's going to meet up here in Calgary. And uh, October 4th at noon is the Sisters Spirit Vigil in Calgary at the Olympic Plaza area. Well, in front of City Hall, I should say. So I hope to see you there. Um, and Jackie Crazyville's family has put out uh, a vigil and walk as well that we're going to be doing just shortly after that. I want to say October 8th-ish, but it, it's the Monday of the long weekend. So be great to see you to come out to those as well. Um, yeah, that's a lot of the honoring of the families and honoring of the victims that were a lot of... Uh, people need to do in order to heal from the loss of the of their family members and the loss of their community and I really wish that people would come out and support these families and understand these issues and move forward along with them and help them heal um weirdly enough the premier gave me an invitation to be at a some kind of dinner with one of the justices so on September 20, 23rd, 24th, ah, 25th. So September 25th is going to be the day of action for Cindy Gladue. And then shortly after that, the Supreme Justice Sheila Martin is going to be honored by the Premier, which was really weird timing. So I'm super excited for that. Um, I just find it very interesting that that would happen together. Uh, another really cool thing that's happening on the 25th is that uh, Bow Valley is going to be having uh, positive relationships towards truth and reconciliation. And um, I think that's really important conversations to have. been really lucky with my book club to be talking about, you know, calls to action and reconciliation and what that looks like. Um, the Calgary Public Library came out and put out a really nice video of it. So Monday is our chapters and chat. We're going to do the book Seven Fallen Feathers. So be really excited if you're in the Calgary area to come out at 6.30, Forest Lawn Library, downstairs. And yeah, I'll talk about that book because I know a lot of people have read it. And, and the thing about my book club is that we give space now first to Indigenous people. So the Indigenous people get to talk first about uh, their experience with the book, um, what they processed and such, and, and get to move forward with that. So one of the things I wanted to talk about was, and that's been completely in taking me away for the last three days is the first contact aptn launched the show and it's just basically taking three regular canadians that know nothing about indigenous people but have a lot of myths and misconceptions and you know taking them to reserves and taking them all around to show them some of the systemic issues now i'm obviously a little biased that nobody ever talks about the indian act and that being the structural legislation that causes all of the root problems and is the perfect model for systemic poverty models that nobody studies in universities, but they all think they're experts on. Um, that's just my little rant. So that really bothered me. It wasn't really explained to people the gravity of how awful the Indian Act was, but it did make a guest appearance because one of the gentlemen had a book of it to show them how awful it was, but we didn't really get to hear more reflection on, on their thoughts and opinions there. Of course, there were two older Albertan gentlemen that just couldn't be changed. So that was awful. But it was good to see there was a fellow named Dallas. He was part of the um, 
Big Brother Canada, and he actually did a full 180, and he changed his opinion 100%. So that was really great to see him kind of come around. And uh, I thought it was really sweet after every show. So they, there was three shows. They were an hour long. And then after each one, they had an hour-long interview with somebody part of the set or, or the people. And the last one was, was the six of them. And Dallas's mo- mother had said to him that uh, he, complained, he, he changed completely, 100% changed person coming back. So I thought that was pretty great to know. That even his mother noticed that. And... It, I think, you know, hats off to all six of the participants for doing it. I'm just sad and disappointed that um, those two gentlemen from Alberta just absolutely could not be swayed and worse, perpetuated the awful myth that um, residential schools aren't that bad because they're awful. And I think if you talk to a World War II veteran and you ask them about the war, they're not going to tell you the awful things that they've seen. They might tell you a funny story of getting a smoke at Christmas, but that doesn't mean the war was great. Whatever. I, I can't even, I don't even know how to talk anymore to white Albertans that just refuse to see the, the damage that was caused. They got the best tours ever. I got to see Sydney from the Friendship Center on TV. I got to see um, my um, the dope team here in my city doing the great work they do. We got to see some Siksika members be kind and generous and sweet. I was just, I, I was so hurt to see my community almost used that way. Um, I think the first episode when I seen Hunter Tutu um, trying to explain to these people, it was really hard for me because, you know, I spent a weekend with, with his family and him and I got to see what a great guy he was. And then, of course, the next day when I get home, all of this awful stuff was said about him. But to me, he's a great guy. And I was so hurt that he had to basically justify some of the, you know, knowledge that he has to other people who didn't want to hear it and didn't care. And I know in the bigger picture, a lot of them did care. But at the end of the day, one of the members, her husband's been on Twitter absolutely being awful to native Twitter. So, you know, this is our reality. Even when you have a show that's supposed to do good, I don't know if it's going to help or not. Um, I know for me, I didn't want to host until I at least watched it one time through to see if, you know, there was, well, you know, because I need time to cry and to mourn some of the, the things and, you know, seeing Hunter Tutu being treated that way really just made me bawl. Um, I was really happy to see uh, Tamara Pimentel of APTN interview Patrick and Lee Deranger in their home and uh, have Patrick speak the words he did about, you know, surviving Indian residential school and then watching a show like this. So I hope a lot of people get to see those interviews after as well as the show. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on First Contact. Well, with that, that's a lot. I didn't even mean it to. I thought I was just going to be talking about one or two things. So with that, I want to say thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom, uh, showing me what strength really looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt. I want to thank my stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Australian or Austrian family um, and, and her roots and stepping up for teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. 
Uh, it's through her that I'm a second-generation proud Calgarian. I want to thank my husband, Darcy, for producing and editing this show, on top of being my husband and my childhood friend and the father of our child, and, um, you know, support down the red road and witnessing decades of racism and sexism I've, I've experienced. And <laughs> to our child, who, you know, I'm blessed to learn from every day, and I'm honored that she chose us. Um because she gives me daily accountability and to be stronger and better. So our Patreon account is Native Calgarian if you want to pledge and support. Thank you again to my previous donors for showing your support. And if you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you. NativeYYC at gmail.com. You send in your comments or questions. And we're now on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and NativeCalgarian.com is up. So with that, thank you very much. And I'll chat with you soon.